If you love the History Extra podcast, make sure you follow us to keep up to date and get all the latest episodes. Thanks for your support, and I do hope you enjoy this episode. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. As I'm sure you already know, this podcast is produced by the team behind BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. And if you haven't had a chance to get hold of our magazine recently, we'd like to offer you the chance to get a copy of our next issue absolutely free. Please text the word HISTORY to 78070 to request your free magazine today. One of our team will be in touch to organise delivery direct to your door. This offer is available for a limited time only and only available for UK residents. So please don't miss out. Text HISTORY to 78070 to get your free copy today. Just a quick note, texts are normally charged at your standard network rate. Please check with your provider for further details. Welcome to the History Extra podcast from BBC History Magazine, Britain's best-selling history magazine. I'm Ellie Cawthorn. On today's episode is a conversation with Jonathan Lichtenstein, a playwright and professor of drama at the University of Essex. In 1939, Jonathan's father, Hans, escaped Nazi-occupied Berlin as a child refugee on the Kinder Transport. Shortly before his father's death, Jonathan and Hans retraced his childhood journey back to Berlin, 
uncovering painful memories of leaving his family behind. In a new memoir, The Berlin Shadow, Living with the Ghosts of the Kinder Transport, Jonathan explores the nature of memory and living with the difficult trauma of a family member. Putting the questions to Jonathan was our deputy digital editor, Eleanor Evans. Perhaps you could just introduce us to your book and to your father's experiences. It's a complicated question to answer, really. Um, But I think one of the things which I really wanted to engage with was how that changes as you get older and how you see things differently. And um, one of the things which was really clear to me uh, when I was a child and growing up in Wales was that my father had been through something different and he'd had a really unusual experience which he never spoke about. And although um, there were many sort of um, incidents of visitors from uh, people, Jewish people, relatives who had escaped, there were there, it was very diff- difficult to get a coherent narrative. I didn't know what was happening. I understood I was meeting a relative, but I didn't understand why, how, what happened. And then when I was about 12... I was taken to see my grandmother, who is my own only living relative in East Berlin, which, of course, when you're a child or 11, 12, you don't remember very, uh, you, you don't realise how unusual that is. And so I went on the train and I now realise I went through a kind of set of cultural movements, you know, from Wales cross on the boat and then on the train and then into West Berlin and then into East Berlin, which was quite unusual. So my father would never talk about it. And I was left trying to assemble the narrative and the story, what was going on. And I knew it was affecting me and I knew it was going to be uh, affecting him. But everyone knew it was affecting him. My, my, his friend, one of his very good friends said to me, your father always has the dogs at his heels. And so I, I understood that there was a gap between what I... Um, what I, I there was a kind of gap which I just couldn't make sense of. So my father was very affectionate, very uh, warm at sometimes, and very distant, very cold, and very um, you know difficult at times. So I don't know if that answers your question, but it's it's uh, it was a trying for me. And then I had children, and I thought I've got to like write this down. So this book was dedicated to my three children because I wanted them to make sense of what. I was going through for them and then it sort of became a book. The book for me was for my children. I mean, I had two amazing editors and I had an extraordinarily wonderful agent who himself was the grandson of a kinder transport. So I had three people as well as me. And I kept just writing about my father and they kept saying, well, what about you? What about you? And I said, well, you know, I mean, what what about me? I've just had a very sweet, normal-ish life, you know. And they said, no, no, what what is this? What is this? uh, You know, where's this disconnect? Well, yeah, I, I hope we can get more into um, the, the the burden placed on on families of of yeah. survivors in a while. But if um, we can perhaps just look at, at your when did you first become aware of your father's um, experience, his history um, as a refugee, as part of the Kinder Transport? Very young. I mean, I knew, for instance, that um, uh, 
you know, my, I, I'm from the age where where I was taught by people who were ex-soldiers, you know, so the, my primary school teachers, not all of them, but some of them had experienced the war and um, had fought. And so I was often confused, not as Jewish, but as German because of Liechtenstein. And um, so I understood I was different. Well, I, I didn't feel different. But I understood people understood me as different, partly because of the name. So Liechtenstein, everyone would say to me, so where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? Where are you from? So my my childhood was absolutely punctuated with this, you know, and teached with, you know, it was no one's fault. It was just very different. You know, it's... This is the 1960s. It's not that far from the war. So I think that sense of being different and then my father just saying... You know, no mentions of Hitler, no mentions of Nazis, no mentions of... He just didn't want to talk about it. And, you know, quite understandably. So you decided to um, embark on this journey, this reverse journey with your father, yeah. Um, yeah. tracing tracing the journey he made in 1939 in reverse. Yeah. What, what can you say about the reasons, the driving forces for you making, making that journey with your father? I think that there was... Um, it's difficult, isn't it, really? I mean, some, sometimes you just have powerful intuitions and it's now or never. My father was old. I was uh, getting on myself. I knew it had to be done. And I think that we just hadn't been able to face it. I mean, I just, I think that my father had been frightened by it. And I think this fear had, um, it, it's this is kind of, I don't want to be reductive with that word, uh, fear or frightened. It was something he didn't need to engage with because he had, he had a very, good life in many ways and um i think it was more for me actually i think it was also a favor for me so your father made the journey from berlin as part of yeah. the kinder transport as he was 12 is that right yeah yeah yes as a 12 year old obviously incredibly young so um mm. how did he begin to make sense of this um journey that he had made as a youngster it, it, on your journey together, what what kind of um, memories particularly came to the fore? Was it the physical memories of the places, or um, what what kind of thing? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. I think it the quite the, the journey there was full of difficulty, anxiety, and an and increasing physical um, biting nails, shaking, kicking, moodiness, waking up at night. The journey back, the return journey was full of grace, relaxation, memory, breath, you know. So I think two journeys happened. One was the going back and the second was the reiteration or the return journey of something. And of course, of course, you know, I'm always saying, so is this where we, is this where this happened? Or is this where that happened? And he's going, oh, God, Jonathan, you just, you know, just get over it. <laughs> you know, it's this sort of, sort of, you know, trans emotional translator for my dad, the poor my poor father who had to put up with me going, So so is this where yes, this is where it happened. What more do you want to know? I said, Well, you know, so this is where you used to live. Yes, this is where I used to live. You know, I said, Well, how was it when you felt how was it to to, to you know, how was it when you left? Well, what do you think? You know, so it's that kind of inability to begin to verbalise something which is really impossible to verbalise. And I, I think there's something in that in the book. I hope there is. There's, there's a kind of clumsiness on my part and uh, a kind of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? There's a sort of, um, 
an awareness that he's being extraordinarily generous, really, with me. Well, what we went backwards, <laughs> you know, the working title for the book was The Journey in Reverse. So we were moving towards the heart of things. My father's escape from Germany was unmitigated pleasure as far as he was concerned. He loved Britain. Britain wasn't spitting at Jews. He felt that um, welcomed he, he, what we would now consider really extraordinarily difficult compared to what he was going through was enlightening and uplifting. So for him... Uh, he was always uh, passionately and um, very beautifully engaged with Britain and and particularly Wales. You know, Wales became exceptionally dear to him. He'd spent he'd spent time there as a as a child, and he loved it, and he went back. So um, I'm not answering your question very well. The the but the big difference was we went backwards to the heart of difficulty. He left difficulty and, 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 and found himself, you know. And one of the things I think I write about in, I found sort of quite difficult to kind of think about um, was that trauma is destructive in many ways, but also can have, if you're lucky, and it didn't happen for many people, but for a few, other emotional forces, independence, thinking for oneself, um, compassion, understanding what other people might have been through. All these things come out of having really lived alongside trauma, you know. So, for instance, no one could do anything wrong to my dad. Oh, he'd say, yeah, but they're like that because of, you know, you don't understand so-and-so, you know. He's extremely forgiving. And I think it's because he'd seen, you know, what real trauma and what real difficulty is so i suppose my father's escape was an act of human optimism and the return was in the end optimistic but it's quite difficult and more and more of your father's memories do seem to come to the fore as you travel um, as yeah. you explore and um, what can you say about that act of revisiting the physical places and the link to memory and to experience yeah well, memory is an extraordinary thing because, as you know, memory happens in the present. Memory is something which is occurring to you here and now. It might be a recall of the past. It might be something which you are, are thinking about, but it's happening now. It's actually a way of processing uh, things now about what happened in the past. And to my surprise, I mean, to my horror, to start with, I thought oh, my God, this is just going to be the utter disaster. It's going to be a breakdown. I'm not going to cope. It's going to be awful for my father, you know, who I, I didn't want to expose to too much uh, pain, you know. And what happened was that he was exposed to pain, but it was, in the end, as you can see from the book, enlightening. And that lifting of weight through the revisitation of place. It was like places in Berlin, places he used to go to, places, um, monuments. Looking back, when I then went to write it, I found it extremely interesting. You know, it's it more than extremely interesting. I found it very powerful for us both. And, of course, what happened was that I managed to get out of him far more coherent stories, like some of that information I just didn't know. 
You know, I, I just didn't know. And then he would tell me. So every time I spoke to him about it, uh, when I was young or even middle aged, I'd say, Dad, you know what happened? He said, Oh, do, do, do shut up about it, you know. And that, so going to the places made him think about what it had been. And so to start with, as you can see, when we went to the museum, it's like shattering. Um, but at other times, it's very. Um, settling by the end of the book it's settling i mean it's an optimistic book actually in in that way i don't know if you felt it but i, I felt it was set i set off with trepidation but it was actually quite quite an optimistic ending i did want to ask about the museum actually because because on your trip um you obviously explored places of commemoration and memory um the museum yeah. other memorials um and i yeah. i wondered what you could say about your experiences of those places coming up against the present day yeah, well, well, well memorials, uh, it's not just what you remember, it's how you remember. And the memorials offer you a complex array of ways of engaging with those memories. And they steer you towards ways of thinking about what has happened. So one of the things about um, Germany and the Holocaust is the range of memorials and the range of places which you can visit to encounter a range of different memories. And I think one of the things I feel really strongly about is that memory and narrative cannot be simplified. They cannot be held into one thing. They always must be multi-stranded, very complicated, often contradictory, and that seems to me the, 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 the human capacity to engage with those uh, complex, complex multi-stranded views of how to remember something um, is, is what an array of memorials makes you engage with. So for me, memorialization is something I really thought about during that journey. Yes, okay. So you have to think, you have to engage with sentences. This is impossible to think about, but I am going to think about it. This is impossible to engage with, yet I will flickeringly, as clearly as I can, have some engagement with it. So that idea of having a single specific narrative, no such thing, multi-narratives, complex open narratives. Still to come on the History Extra podcast. But those moments shape the psyche. And so if you're soldiers and who, who suffered, not all, but some, you just cannot, the psyche cannot escape what it's been through. We don't always realise just how much our negative thoughts and experiences stick with us and weigh us down you may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mum does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger. Talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down. And learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapists anytime. 
Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash history extra today to get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash history extra. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash History Extra. Just go to Indeed.com slash History Extra right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. As well as having an array of different um, memorials of, of natures of remembering, accepting that people will interact with these memorials very differently from one another. Yeah, 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 yeah. Absolutely, absolutely. And they had this lovely thing, you know, where I, I was very, you know, I kept saying in the book, I mean, they're not being very respectful. And my father, who's been through the whole thing, says, "Oh, well, I don't mind. They're alive. They're enjoying themselves. I don't really care." You know, he just didn't. He was. He thought. He thought it was really lovely that young people were smoking and flirting, on on on, on and especially the more memorial to the murder Jews of Europe, which you know you wouldn't think. I was much more, much more shocked, but he really didn't mind. We should uh, definitely address that that oppression, that persecution that your fa- your father's yeah. family, your father, your family um, yeah. suffered. And, and I mean, you 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 see a particular photograph um, after Kristallnacht, the night of the, gro- the broken glass. Yeah. Um, yeah. What can you say about about that ex- that persecution? You know, I mean, I, I can say lots about it. I can say that what my father used to say, which is, it didn't happen to you; it happened to me. And I think that's one one really important thing. It didn't happen to me. It happened to him. And so I think the the kind of, you know, this is very well known about the second generation. My father was a doctor, as you know, and uh, he, you, know, you could say, Dad, I've just caught my leg in barbed wire and I it's really hurting. Oh, he says, you know, don't worry. I survived the Holocaust. You know? <laughs> Dad, I've broken all my fingers. Oh, so what? He said. You know, like, you know, I survive. <laughs> he never said the words, but you could go, you could, you could be, have, you know, 37% of your skin rubbed off your leg <laughs> and walk into the kitchen. I remember once I stabbed my foot with a garden fork and it went right through my toe and out the other side, through my welly gum. And oh, it was no big deal. I survived, you know, so it's this kind of extraordinary, I don't know, kind of um, pleasure in life, which may be linked to that escape of of looking at this this difficult trauma so i what i found i think and a lot of people will say this uh, second generation is a classic thing that their versions of difficulty pale into comparison to their parents um and so therefore are sort of delegit well, they're not delegitimized, but they're kind of, you know, on the scale of suffering, they're nothing. So, I wanted to ask, um, you've written about the burden placed on families of soldiers suffering with PTSD. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah I have, yeah. And, and I, I wanted to know if you found any correlation with, with families of survivors of the Holocaust. Well, I mean, I, I can't talk about correlations, but I can talk about trauma. And I can talk about this extraordinarily loose definition called post-traumatic stress disorder, which is clearly what people suffer when they've been through trauma. And 
trauma does extraordinary things. Trauma does um, un, un, un sort of known things. One of the things it does, um, which I've seen a lot of people talk about, and um, it can make you suicidal, it can make you um, hugely depressed, but it can also give you such an intense experience that you feel utterly alive. And I think this is a tremendous complication for people who have been through such difficulties, that that sense of being alive is so heightened and you become so, you feel, you just feel very alive. And it might be very frightening, it might be very terrifying, it might be utterly, you know, overwhelming. But those moments shape the psyche. And once you've, once you've been through them, you cannot not have been through them. You, you've been through them. And so if you're soldiers and who, who suffered, not all, but some, you just cannot, the psyche cannot escape what it's been through. Uh, there's lots of really interesting writing about trauma. And one of the things which it says is that there's a lot of kind of splitting goes on. So you can split off parts of yourself. So part, a part of yourself can be um, very energised and very enlivened, whereas another part of yourself is, you know, frightened, stiff. So you can even have this kind of, splitting with inside yourself where different versions of yourself are playing out at the same time so i think that's the best way i can describe it is that trauma cannot be escaped from or and it does something to you some extremely negative it just it makes you different you use different to the rest of everyone else and so you've been through something which you there is no you know because one of the things i tried to write in the book about vocabularies how can you how can one person who's been through it um talk to someone who hasn't been through it. If I can ask perhaps another difficult question then, do you think that that gap, that understanding can ever be bridged? Um, no, I don't think it can ever be bridged because I think the human condition is in a sense what is life for and what is your life for and uh, can never really be understood by oneself, let alone by anyone else. So I think there's a fundamental... Um, loneliness uh, in in um in existence but i think there are ways of collaboratively engaging with things you know i think that it's possible to share to a certain extent so to share time together space together meals together but i think once you're with someone who's been through something so extraordinary i would i mean i I've, i wrote it you know in my book i think the book just says that in the end you 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 can't you you just can't go there and i think that's one of the problems with it's not one of the problems it's one of the difficulties really with engaging with people with post-traumatic stress disorder in any way is that you the the vehicle the way on which you try to reach someone it's not going to get there because you can't so therefore i think you're talking about different activities which might be collaborative uh, rather than a vocabulary which allows you to share but nevertheless i think curiously we talked about monuments i think monuments are ways of kind of spending time together in 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 
in in an awareness of the narratives, in, in, in awareness of, of of what's being, with awareness that the, the they kind of give you, they kind of point you towards thinking about these things. Can can you can you explain? And my answer is definitely not. So therefore, you need bridges. What are these bridges? These bridges involve many things, but they involve time together and spaces in which you're allowed to feel that you that you are in some ways unable to link, but acknowledging that you're in the same space, unable to link, is some sort of some sort of connection. That was Jonathan Lichtenstein. The Berlin Shadow, Living with the Ghosts of the Kinder Transport, is published by Scribner UK and is out now. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. This episode was produced by Ben Hewitt and Jack Bateman. We'll be back on Wednesday, when Tom Lysons will be talking about Edward the Confessor. (laughs) 